2: Say, oh, well, the book you really should get is um, Richard Rohr's book. You know, the Enneagram: of Christian Perspective. Well, yeah. Richard Rohr can't give a Christian perspective right. on it because he doesn't um, confess the Christian faith.
0: a great video for you today, but I just want to remind you that my new book, Another Gospel, is coming out very soon. You can go to alisachilders.com slash another gospel to check out the bonuses you'll get for pre-ordering before October 6th. alisachilders.com slash another gospel. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast. Got a great conversation for you today. It's a controversial conversation. We're going to be talking about the Enneagram and its influence on the church. Is it nothing more than a harmless personality test, or is it more like a Trojan horse that could be spiritually harmful to Christians who use it? We're going to talk about it with a special guest on today's podcast. So one of the most common questions I receive on social media and through my email is about the Enneagram people want an Enneagram episode so bad. Please, please, please talk about the Enneagram. And I've been, as you know, Marcia, I've been hesitant to talk about it because I personally know wonderful, God-fearing Christians who are using the Enneagram and their churches that teach the real gospel. They're, uh, mm-hmm. doctrinally speaking, as far as the, the foundational elements of Christianity, you know, they're, they're teaching those things correctly. And so I've been hesitant to even comment on it because, uh, we do see that it, it becomes the gospel in the progressive church without a mm-hmm. doubt. In mm-hmm. fact, Jen Hatmaker's latest book, which I just reviewed, she essentially removes all of the meaningful elements of the Christian gospel and just tells you, man, find your Enneagram number, you know, learn her, you, who you are, and she gets excited mm-hmm. about this. And this is something you see all over the progressive church, largely because the books that are being written about the Enneagram for the church are being written by progressive and liberal Christians. And right. so I think that's that—that's always been a huge red flag for me. Uh, I admit I've probably, up until I really became aware of the origins, uh, how people were using it, and, and the effect that it has on someone. I think I just viewed it as a parlor trick, uh, you know, <laughs> icebreaker <laughs> conversation or something like that. But it has become really evident to me that I, I can't avoid really talking about it anymore, because I, I do think, like I said, there are wonderful true Christians that are using it. Maybe they don't understand some of these other things about it. Maybe they, they can't see the long-term effects of it. And so you are an expert on all of this. You have done tons and tons and tons and tons of research. You've ri- just written a book on the Enneagram. So let's start with, uh, obviously, everybody's heard of it. Everybody has a pretty good idea of what it is. Uh, Marsha, where did it come from? Where did the Enneagram first break into the world? Where where are we seeing this? 1916. Okay, there we go.
2: 1916, 104 years ago, uh, a guy named George Gurdjieff, who was this like spiritual seeker, esoteric type who was looking into different uh, belief systems not the major religions, but, you know, the more secretive kind of Gnostic type things. Um, He did a diagram, a nine-pointed diagram that we would call the Enneagram. That's what it means. It means a nine-pointed diagram. Um, And he claimed that this was like a picture of the universe that you could fit everything into the Enneagram. All the laws of the universe would fit in this. Everything could fit there. Um, For example, he did a musical scale around the nine points. He felt it could illustrate everything in reality. Um, All the mathematical laws, all the spiritual laws, everything. Um, He came up with the idea of the law of three and the law of seven, and he applied it to the Enneagram. Basically, he was like playing around with it. How do all the different nine points um, integrate with each other or how they all fit together? And he would put things in there to make it, quote unquote, work. Um, It had nothing to do, though, with uh, a type or a personality or anything else that is being taught now. And his followers, um, he had a follower named Uspensky. Now, Gurdjieff never wrote about the Enneagram, but his follower Uspensky did write about the Enneagram based on what Gurdjieff taught, according to Usp- Uspensky. Um, and Uspensky was still talking about it as a spiritual kind of diagram. Uh, now, after that, that was he and Gurdjieff both died in the late 1940s somewhere around the 1960s or, or in the 60s, this man named Oscar Ichazo, who had a school in Chile called Arica, and it's in a town called Arica, Chile on the coast, started teaching it. Now, how did he get it? Um, in, the, in the research that um, I was doing, uh, it was it's, there's no definitive history. And what you find with the Enneagram which is true for a lot of things from the New Age, you find a lot of different contradictory stories. It's really hard to get the facts Mm. because all these people give stories. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It seems like the most likely was that he ran into some followers of Guruji. Guruji still has followers around the world. There are actually people who who are like sort of cult followers of his teachings. Um, And somehow, probably... Uh, uh, Ichazo came across this, and he decided to kind of teach it his own way. And so in his little secret occult school in Arica, he was teaching the Enneagram as uh, a picture of ego fixations. So he made each of the nine points an ego fixation, something you get fixated, your ego gets fixated. Ichazo's view was that your ego, your outward who you seem to be outwardly your outward personality and everything was a cover-up for the real true inner essential self or the true essence in the self your essence is actually pure Mm. and untouched by anything bad or anything wrong so you have this essence in you but it's been covered up by all of these false ideas you've had about yourself, by the experiences you've gone through, by what other people have told you, by how you've been conditioned. That's the ego is the false self. This is an idea that's very common in 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 Jungian thinking and in the new age as well. Um, even in astrology, I was a professional astrologer. And so the idea is that there's this pure untouched self. Uh, and so that's what he taught. So you find your ego fixation, And when you understand that that's not really you, then you can see this pure self at the center of who you are. So it still wasn't being taught as anything personality-wise or any of the way it's really being taught today. Ichazo had a student at his school named Claudio Naranjo, who was basically, he was a psychiatrist, but he was a spiritual seeker. He went to Ichazo's school because he was searching for things. He was searching spiritual truths. After his son had died, he had a crisis, and he started the spiritual journey. He learned the Enneagram from Ichazo, and then he took it to a very edgy place in Big Sur, California, <laughs> called Esalen. Um, and it was a very wild place with experimental psychology, people doing a hallucin- hallucin- uh, hallucinogenic drugs, trying to have spiritual trips with drugs like they did in the 60s, etc. He took it there. He went there around 1970. And he claims in two videos on YouTube that he got the types that we now associate with Enneagram. He got the types via automatic writing. Automatic writing is a form of spirit contact where you open yourself up and you let whatever spirit or entity use your hand to write out things. And he says that's how he got these types. He said, he said partly his observations, but mostly automatic writing. Um, And then he confirmed it through his own observations. So it's very subjective. First of all, it's coming from um, a spirit, which we know is not not from god that's bad news these would be fallen angels yeah and he had these spirit guides he and ichazo both had spirit guides um in fact ichazo was very open about these um spirits he talked about metatron and the green kutub were two of the big ones and he said his group was guided by an interior master wow so he was into spirit contact as was naranjo and they both also did um drugs to, to have spiritual trips. Um, there's a there's an interesting video where Naranjo talks about his time um, with Ichazo and talks about Ichazo. It's very, very, it's a very revealing about the New Age mindset. Yeah. And then uh, he, so he starts teaching it with the types at Esalen. And he has a, um, now there's two different stories about how the Jesuits got it. But there was a man, Bob Oaks, who was a Jesuit who learned it from Naranjo, and Naranjo gave him permission to teach it. And, and Naranjo said that he was the only person he gave permission to. And he, Bob Oakes took it to a Catholic seminary in uh, Chicago and taught it to some priests there uh, in the seminary. And then it also, Helen Palmer. Who was a, called herself a psychic at the time, and I remember when she was a psychic because <clears throat> I was a newager, you know, in the in the late 70s and into the, all, all the 1980s, uh, and she was a known figure. She uh, took the Enneagram and started infusing it with her new age philosophy, and other people picked up on it. And meanwhile, the Jesuit Catholic use of it. Uh, was being used in a very limited way, like at retreat centers and things like that. It was never approved of or endorsed by the Catholic Church. And in fact, I think they may have actually written something against it, but I, I can't remember for sure. I know that the Catholic, um, a Catholic journal, I think it's called the Catholic Reporter, has an article about all these um, demonic beginnings, the spirit contact and everything. Mm. So um, it was not approved of by the Catholic Church, but these people were teaching it. Uh, And some of the Catholics who were also counselors, a few of them did books on it. But most of the books on the Enneagram were were New Age books written by New Agers. And I heard of the Enneagram when I was in the New Age. I just wasn't interested in it because I was doing astrology. To me, astrology was... Was the thing? It was more real to me because it was the planets. You know, we had the planets and the sun, moon <laughs> right yeah. there. Whereas the Enneagram was sort of this abstract thing. Yeah. You know, per, kind of it seemed shallow to me. Yeah. Um. So I wasn't interested in it. And that's how it came about. So that's how we have the types. And actually, if you look up things um, online on Enneagram, there are a lot of different ways these types are described. There's not a standard model because it's not based on anything objective. It doesn't come from psychology. It's not based on research or studies or even the personality theories that exist in psychology. I've had numerous Christian counselors tell me this is just considered like, uh, it's just phony. It's considered a phony thing. It's not even taken seriously in the field of psychology. Yet now we have Christian counselors And psychologist um, doing Ian Cron is a is a psychotherapist. Um, Of course, he's a follower of Richard Rohr. Mm -hmm. And I think he's a perennialist based on an interview he did with uh, Beatrice Chestnut, who's a new ager. Mm. Uh, So there's another perennialist in the Christian camp because Mm. the book The Road Back to You, the first Enneagram book published by an evangelical publisher, IVP, came out in 2016. That kind of gave the stamp of approval to the Enneagram. And the two authors were Suzanne Stabile, who was mentored for many years by Richard Rohr, and Ian Cron, who's also, I would call him a follower of Richard Rohr. Uh, They both teach, both have taught or spoken at Richard Rohr's center, center. So basically, they're disciples of Richard Rohr, and they're the ones who wrote the first Enneagram book.
0: So, okay, so... That Richard Rohr. (laughs) There he is again. That Richard. (laughs) So, okay. (laughs) So the 2016 first Enneagram book published on an evangelical Christian publisher, is that when the sort of explosion of the Enneagram happened in the church, would you
2: say? Yes. Yes. And it wasn't quite an explosion at the beginning. It was kind of out there. Um, you know, the book would be looked at by some people and you'd hear now and then people giving a talk on it, but it wasn't really popular or taken up. I think the next year when um, Chris Horitz's book was published, The Sacred Enneagram by Zondervan, that gave the Enneagram another push because here's another publisher. And um, by the way, here again, um, Chris Horitz was mentored by Richard Rourke. So now you have the first two books coming from Richard Rohr's disciples. Yes. And I believe that Chris Koritz is a perennialist, he and his wife. I have looked at a lot of things they've written um, and said, and to me, there's no doubt that they are.
0: Let us know what is perennialism, because there's going to be some touch points as we go along. And I want people to know what that word means uh, as this discussion continues.
2: Yes. Okay. Thank you, Elisa, for letting me uh, talk about this. Wow. Um, perennialism, also called the perennial philosophy, perennial wisdom, and the perennial tradition, is a view that even though all religions look differently, different outwardly, at their core is the same truth, which they sometimes call the same divine reality. And this truth at the root of all religions is what holds these religions together. So basically all religions are true in their own way. And you discover this truth through mysticism, through contemplative practices. That's how you become aware of it. Your consciousness has to open up to it. So it's a change in your perception to see this. Um, And the People who are followers of the perennial view believe in keeping the different religions distinct because they think each religion has benefits for those who follow it. So they don't want to blend religions or make one religion. They believe in the different religions, traditions. So they often use that word. I'm um, following the Hindu tradition or Hindu wisdom. I'm following the Christian tradition, etc. So now we have we have over 15 Way over, I think we're up to maybe twenty enneagram books. Um, two just came out this this summer, just and yeah. September fifteenth. So it's it's now it has started really exploding. I would say around twenty eighteen, and then it just took off in twenty nineteen. Yeah. That's when I was trying to keep up with it, right. <laughs> I couldn't keep up with it. Right. I actually first started warning about it um, on Facebook in twenty fourteen. Wow. But my first article on the Enneagram, which is on my website, it's called the um, Enneagram GPS, Gnostic Path to the Self, mm. which I still think is the, uh, an accurate title. I wrote title. that in 2011, Elisa. Wow! And the reason I wrote it is because that's when I saw it in the progressive church. Wow. And so I thought, OK, it's in the progressive church. That's a little too close for comfort. Yes. I, I need to write about it. And I yeah. had been asked about it by a few people. So I did my research and did my article, 2011. And I thought, oh, taken care of. <laughs> so I'm just going to say this. So I'm just going to say this. You know, none of us are
0: perfect in our in our analysis. And we're all learning as we go. And we're just trying to take everything and compare it with Scripture. But I think that I had, up until this point, viewed the Enneagram largely as something uh, else that's maybe just kind of, creeping in everywhere. Uh, but I, I think that you have convinced me that this really is, obviously it's a new age with occult beginnings and things like that, that is coming in through the progressive church, it would seem. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's one way that progressive leaders such as Richard Rohr and Ian Crone and, and others. Uh, can get their ideas into the evangelical church yes. and maybe hook some people because that was always that was always a concern that so many of these books that you see that are marketed to Christians about the Enneagram are written by progressive Christians, particularly just this this incredible influence that Richard Rohr has. And so let let me ask you this, because one of the things that people will often say when you talk about the Enneagram is they will say, but it works. It described me Mm -hmm. perfectly. Maybe they took the test and uh, I got to admit, I probably, I don't know. I took a test a while back just to see what they would say, and I, I don't even remember Remember what number it gave me, but I've had friends, you know, say, "Well, I think you're this number. Or you're this number." Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you'll read, it and you're like, "Yeah, that kind of does sound like me," but so does that. And so, oh well, that's a way yeah. then, you know. So there's always yeah. <laughs> a reason. There's something else. But what what would you say to somebody who says, "Well, you know what? I don't really care about the occult beginnings. I'm not right. really following Richard Rohr. I'm not going to fall for that. It just works. It's helped my marriage, or it's helped me understand my friends better." Um, what what would you say to a Christian who might say something like that?
2: Yes, there's definitely a response for that. And, and at this point, before I forget, I do want to mention the name of my, of the book and my co-authors. It's called Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. So yes. the book is also about Richard Rohr. There are two chapters on Richard Rohr in that book. And, the, and my two co-authors are Don and Joy Vino. Um, V-E-I-N-O-T, whom I've known for uh, at least 20 years. Um, uh, They direct Midwest Christian Outreach, which is a ministry they've been doing for a long time. Uh, So we wrote this book together. And yes, and that is something I came across where people were telling me, but it works and it helped me, etc. Here's the thing. My response immediately, and I have more responses to that, is, well, I was a professional astrologer. And all my clients said that the charts I did for them were accurate. Wow. None of them ever said, well, that's not me or that doesn't that isn't true to my life. And I wasn't just talking about their personality. I was talking about their childhood, the relationship with their parents, their marriage or other romantic relationships, their job, their goals, their fears. Uh, uh, The astrological birth chart is a complete, supposedly complete, in-depth look at you. Mm. on all levels. And people would sit there astounded that I seem to hit on certain things. Now, part of this is because number one, we are self deceived, we actually don't see ourselves at the way we really are. Wow, that's <laughs> we a see great point. some things about ourselves, but we're, you know, face it, we don't like to admit things faults we have that are, you know, you know something you do that may irritate your friends. And they may not say anything to you because they're your friend, but if they did, you would be kind of like, "Oh no, I'm not like that. I don't know. I can't be like that. I don't do that." Yeah. <laughs> so we're kind of self-deceived. I think we tend to have an idea of who we are and what we are that's somewhat positive, and we use that as a filter. Uh, the other thing is, like I pointed out in astrology, you can believe something completely false is true. It's a deception. Uh, one thing is you do, you will fit certain things and then you kind of attach yourself to that because we always are looking for patterns. Mm. And if we fit a pattern, it's sort of a feeling of security or it's a way to think I can understand myself better. or Now life will work better because I fit into this pattern. So that idea works in astrology and it works with the Enneagram. Mm. And of course, the fact that all my clients and Millions of people around the world think astrology is true. Millions. Yeah. Does that make astrology true or valid? No. So the fact that people think it works is not evidence for its validity. Um, it's evidence for its deception and self-deception. There are actually psychological terms that explain this identification with things like the Enneagram. Um, and I would here mention um, a two-part article online by a Christian psychologist named Jay Medenwalt, um, M-E-D-E-N-W-A-L-D-T. We actually quote him in our book. His part one article shows um, how the Enneagram fails the personal, fails as a personality test mm. or any kind of assessment tool. It doesn't have what it's supposed to have in order to pass that criteria. So it fails the criteria as a test, as an assessment. Part two of his article is why people believe it and think it works. And he gives 11 factors in part two. <laughs> One of them is a self-deception. Um, he talks about this Barnum effect where we regret, we latch on to certain things that sound mm-hmm. like it sound true or that we think are true about ourselves. And we start believing that. And then when you start believing that, you've narrowed yourself down you start filtering things through that. Mm. So this, I saw this in astrology. So if you think, you know, I'm a Sagittarius and my moon is in Libra. So, oh, that's why I reacted that way when my boyfriend said this. Yeah, That makes sense because, because of my moon in Libra. And, and as a Sagittarius, I just wanted to get away and have my freedom or whatever. Mm. You see, you start filtering your experiences through it and then it becomes more real and more valid in your mind. Yeah. And I have found people are very resistant even after I give them the information. They they re- they reject it. Mm. They don't want they don't want it. They want to continue to believe it because they don't want to accept the fact. Partly they don't want to accept the fact maybe they that they were deceived. Yeah. But they don't want to think that it's not true and it's not valid. Now, some people come around and say, oh, I used it and, you know, and then I read about it and I thought, oh, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And yeah. I threw my books away, yeah. you know, but a lot of people are, are not, not wanting to do that. And that's, that's part of our human nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as a Christian, we should be aware that there is a spiritual dimension to the Enneagram. And what I have been seeing from started seeing last year and I've been seeing more and more this year is that it actually is like a spiritual counterfeit in the church. It's like a Trojan horse Mm. because it's bringing in a lot of Roar's ideas through the books. Um, It's bringing a lot of ideas in about the true self, false self, which is not a biblical concept. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the fallen self and we are you know, regenerated by the Holy Spirit when we trust in Christ. But that's not a true self, false self concept. Um, So I'm seeing a lot of Christians use that language. They're accepting that model. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you start evaluating things based on this Enneagram type that is really not valid, and that's really not you, you're going to start, you're just going to get more deceived. So I, as
0: you're talking, I'm just thinking about somebody who might say, well, this works, it really read my mail, it, it explained the way I think or how I behave so accurately. And <clears throat> I think you made a really good point about how we are self-deceived. We we, we don't see ourselves correctly. And I think also there, there's an aspect to consider too that the things that are the most deceptive, the things that are essentially the most well-crafted lies are the ones that contain the most amount of truth. And so there may be some sort of uh, observation about human nature that somebody in an Enneagram book is making that rings true. <laughs> and that, mm-hmm. you know, that might be something that they're observing about human nature that you go, oh, well, it must be true because they made this observation. Right. But just like in progressive Christianity, you're going to hear um, a lot of truth. You know, you're mm-hmm. going to hear uh, mm-hmm. things about Jesus that are true, even things about the Bible that are true. Uh, mm-hmm. But But you have to look, zoom out, and look at the overall picture that's being painted, the overall um, message that's being conveyed. And my concern too, just when I'm looking on Amazon and just seeing book after book after book after book written on the Enneagram, devotionals written for Christians based on the Enneagram, (laughs) children's books. And I'm thinking about how much time and energy is spent Um, that you could be reading scripture, you could be listening to good Bible teaching, you could be reading uh, some apologetics, you could be reading something that's really going to edify your spirit and point your eyes toward God, but really the Enneagram is pointing your eyes back at yourself. And yes. that would be a huge caution for Christians as well, because anytime you're shifting your focus from God to self, let's say even you're listening to this conversation and you're like, well, I don't buy the occult origins. I don't care about that. I don't think it's spiritually dangerous. I, I don't buy this whole idea that, you know, hey, I think it works for me. So I don't buy that. At least consider the idea that it's turning your your gaze from Christ to yourself mm-hmm. to try to analyze yourself, get to know yourself right. better, interact with other people better. And and that can be really problematic when you think about how much time you're spending learning about this and like you mentioned, Marsha, learning from people like Richard Rohr and some of uh, Susan Stabile, some of these others that have very very false ideas about who God is and that's going to trickle down to who they think you are, what kind of a thing you are, what you were created for, what's going to be best for you. And so I think those are all things that Christians need to really consider carefully.
2: People who are accepting the Enneagram because they think it works, and once they get the information, they still don't want the information, it's because their experience with the Enneagram is informing them. And they're basing it on experience instead of objective truth. And once you start shifting in that direction, you'll accept other things based on your experience. And that's exactly what happens in the new age. Mm. That is what new agers do. They base truth on experience. Now, having been a new ager for, you know, over 20 years, I can tell you that's what happens. If your experience with this is good or true, then that's true. Yeah. You know, even if there's objective evidence against it, that doesn't matter. And so Christians are beginning to think, they're going to start thinking like New Agers and base truth on experience. And that's a very dangerous step.
0: In our earlier part of our conversation, we touched on the idea of contemplative practices, Marsha. And I'm wondering if there's like a connection between uh, contemplative practices, contemplative prayer and uh, the Enneagram.
2: Yes, there definitely is. And I have noticed that. Um, So I'm glad you brought that up. And I think that's partly to do with Richard Rohr, because he has such a, um, a, a big teaching and focus on contemplative practices, because he says that's the way we unlearn. Mm. And we have to unlearn in order to learn these new truths that we're not seeing, which of course is, you know, in his view, that's what he's teaching. He's teaching these things you should learn. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's that's why you do contemplative practices. Um, Yes, I have noticed a lot of the uh, people teaching Enneagram are big practitioners of contemplation uh, type things like there's spiritual, several of them are spiritual directors. Um, Spiritual director is this new role in the evangelical church that used to be just in the Catholic church Mm. and actually goes back to medieval monasticism Um, and the spiritual director is somebody who's giving you spiritual guidance and you also uh, do spiritual contemplative practices. Uh, So I've noticed like, for example, the book, uh, IVP book sacred rhythms for the Enneagram of the four authors of that book. Three of them are um, spiritual directors. And I I've noticed a couple of other people. One, one man has a ministry uh, that is, very contemplative oriented. Actually, both of them do. And they have, one of them just wrote a book called The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. And spiritual formation is another word that's part of contemplative spirituality. So I am seeing this, you know, convergence of the Enneagram, um, Richard Rohr's teaching, perennialism, and panentheism. Mm. I am seeing that convergence, and I've done several uh, Facebook posts on the Enneagram and contemplative uh, spirituality and perennialism, because I was reading two of the authors of that book that I mentioned, The Sacred Rhythms for the Enneagram, I looked into them, they're a husband and wife, and I was reading on their website, and they said things like, to draw from other wisdom traditions to draw wisdom from other religions. And they also said they follow the Christian tradition. Mm. Now, so this is these are some words we discussed that yes. I might indicate a perennial view. They also said that they work with people whether they're Christians or not. Um, and, and this is said about one of those new two books that came out. I saw similar language in the foreword to one of the books where... It was stated that you don't even have to be a Christian to benefit from this book. So when I saw that language from them, I thought, ah, I wonder if they are followers of Richard Roar's teachings. Mm-hmm. Or even not, are they adopting this perennial wisdom view?
1: Mm-hmm. Because
2: the language sure sounded like it. I actually did a whole post on them.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, So I'm seeing that. And then I read this forward to this book that came out, just came out. And the the man writing the forward, was talking about wisdom and, uh, you know, not having to be a Christian. And he talked about God. He talked about a Jewish woman who died in a concentration camp. And she wrote about God being at her center, but it was buried under a lot of, of, of grit and stones. And he says, well, the author of this Enneagram book, who's A.J. Cheryl, will help you remove those stones and grit and find your true self that's mm-hmm. in God. So the, perine- the perennial view is that your self has never been separated from God. That's your true- That's what your true self is. Mm-hmm. It has never been separated from God, and that's what you're supposed to discover. If people are listening to this and they're thinking, well, I would never
0: leave that, I'm just using it as a personality test, and I would never go there. I mean, you know, maybe maybe you wouldn't, but I, I can tell you from all the progressive Christian books that I read that what you just described as far as the perennial view of you've never been separated from God, uh, you'll hear it articulated like you, Adam and Eve just simply failed to recognize their belovedness Uh, Before God. Oh, belovedness. That's another word in the perennial. Okay. So, so this is all over progressive books. Jen Hatmaker's recent book that I just reviewed, Fierce Free, Full of Fire, reads just like a self help cheerleader, go rah rah, you know, you go girl kind of book. But this is all throughout. There's a, like I mentioned, there's a huge section on the Enneagram uh, being so foundational, essentially, to Mm. you really achieving your full potential. And this Mm. is what she teaches. Uh, she teaches that when you are separated from God, that's self-imposed. She said that on a podcast with Pete Enns. and mm. this is this is somebody with eight hundred thousand plus followers, yeah. uh, just even on Facebook, selling millions of books to Christian women. And so this, this you know, I just want to make the point to anyone listening or watching that when you hear Marcia saying things like this, this this is already in the church. This isn't yeah. something. That's just like, wow, that sounds so out there. It might sound out there to some of us, but uh, I, I, again, that connection with the Enneagram and that perennial idea of you've never been separated, focusing on that true self, which is coming mm-hmm. from Richard Rohr, which of course is Jen Hatmaker's, what she called him a spiritual father in in a podcast. Right. In fact, you and I talked about that on a podcast. And so this is something that we are seeing Everywhere, and yeah. it really does seem like this is a Trojan horse, just like you described. Mm-hmm. That is coming from the progressive church into the evangelical church, and like, hey, no, we're all we're good, we're safe. It's just a personality test. Um, <laughs> you can learn a few spiritual things from these guys, but you know, just it's it's good. It'll help you all get together as a staff better. It help your your marriage ministries and your counseling ministries. But you know, if anybody's unfamiliar with the story of the Trojan horse, of course that a gift was given, and inside <laughs> were all these soldiers waiting to take everybody down. And so, right. um, yeah, I don't think it's an exaggeration to make that comparison. Do you think that's an exaggeration?
2: No, I don't. I don't. I think it's one of the it's probably the biggest new age deception in the church oh. right now, for sure, and one of the biggest deceptions ever. I mean, i I have never seen anything like it. I've seen other kind of new agey things spread in the church. Mm-hmm. But nothing like this. This is this to me, almost took my breath away with the speed that it had in the church. It just you know kind of just got went faster and faster. And even with the uh, whole thing with the pandemic, has not slowed it down. If anything, it seems oh. to have given it more space because people can go online and do stuff and do online seminars and teachings Uh, and they can actually reach more people online than if they travel to, you know, church X, Y, Z or something. So I think it's definitely a Trojan horse. And the thing is we always think that, okay, well I'll be careful and I'm not going to accept that spirituality, but that's one of the problems. The Bible says to be careful If you think you can stand, Mm. let's you fall, Mm. because that's actually an attitude of pride that you think you can resist. We have to admit that we're all capable of being deceived. Most of the New Testament was written as a warning to Christians about false teachings. The whole book of Galatians is about false teaching. You see it in, in Corinthians. You see it in Jude. You see it in Second Peter. It's all over the place, almost every book. So that, and we know some Christians were deceived from Mm -hmm. what happened in the Bible. Yeah. So that is a Even Peter
0: got sucked into the the Judaizer party a little bit. You know, he was afraid to, he was afraid to call it out. You know, regardless of what he actually thought about it, he didn't want to offend them. And that's why Paul had to oppose him face to face. This was something that had to be done, you know, in public because there was this sort of acquiescence to this false teaching that was coming. I mean, Peter, the Apostle Peter, the the rock that (laughs) Jesus built his church on. So, yes, all of us can, and this is really, really bad news. And Yes, it is. So let me ask you, um, long-term, now that you've been studying the, the Enneagram for this long and you've been diving into it, obviously, I mean, saying you even were writing about it in 2011, 20, yeah, 2011, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think the long-term effects are going to be for churches in particular? Like, Because like, I'm thinking of wonderful, solid churches and pastors that I know that are using the Enneagram. Um, What would be your warning to them? What do you think the long-term effects of them letting this into their churches, what do you think that's going to be for them?
2: Um, I think there's a few effects of it. Um, I think one is it takes you away from the time you should spend on Scripture. And Scripture tells us we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Therefore, our focus should be on Christ. That's what He is our model. You know, not that we can be exactly like Christ, but he exhibits everything that is perfect that we are supposed to be striving for, you know, with with the Holy Spirit um, guiding us and and the Holy Spirit by the strength of the Holy Spirit, because in our own flesh, we can't do that. But that is what we should be focused on. And this is just a big, at the very least, a big distraction, Mm. because once you start getting into yourself, it's very hard to stop because our self is the most fascinating subject for everybody on earth. <laughs> that is our number one. You, you, you yes. know, it just is. It just we it. love it. We're so interested in ourselves. We love it, yeah. And so that, that draws you away from scripture. Um, also, it will give you a false idea of who you are because it's not valid. Mm. And then you'll filter things through these false ideas. You might unwittingly, And unknowingly pick up some of the teachings that go along with it about the true self, false self, and start incorporating that into your theology. Mm. Um, The other thing is, it makes people more open to the people who are experts on the Enneagram, who are in many cases, false teachers, or at the very least, they're followers of Roar. And I have seen many Christian Enneagram teachers recommend Richard Rohr when they're doing a seminar. They'll say, oh, the book you really should get is um, Richard Rohr's book, you know, the Enneagram a Christian Perspective. Well, Richard Rohr can't give a Christian perspective on it because he doesn't um, confess the Christian faith. His his doctrines are opposed to it. So um, it opens the door for teachings from these people. It kind of gives... A secondhand endorsement of these people. If your pastor tells you to read the road back to you, then you think Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile must be okay. Yes. But they're but they're but they're not. They're not okay. Ian Cron even admits he's a progressive.
0: Mm.
2: He even said he's a progressive. Yeah. So um, it opens the door to this bad theology that way. I think it also creates it can create a division in the church. I know many people who left their church because of the Enneagram, they knew the truth about it. They went to the pastors, they gave the information, and, and often the response was, um, well, we're just going to use it as a tool to help people. you know." And even though they were told it wasn't valid, they just kind of ignored that and said, well, we're just going to use it as a tool mm-hmm. to help people or to help our staff. And um, they ignored the truth. Now, to me, what's going on here is that, and this may be something God is doing, he's allowing it because it's going to show the people who want to believe something that's not true mm. are going to be exposed. And um, so these people couldn't stay in their church when the leadership was so gung-ho on the Enneagram. Um, and I think that people who... You know, Don't care about the deception. They're going to be open to more deception. And one of the things I said last year was I think the Enneagram is going to pave the way for an even worse deception. It's maybe something that is, is paving the way for something else. Mm. Yeah, and that's you know, that's speculation on my part, nobody has to accept that as true, right. <laughs> that that's what I was speculating on. Um, and I, I really think that's possible. Maybe yeah. it's paving the way for panentheism and perennialism. I well, don't know. I, or maybe I, I don't it's something think it's, completely different. I don't think that's
0: far-fetched at all because Mm-mm. people, it's leading people to Richard Rohr and his... Mm-hmm heretical teachings about the nature of God and the nature of creation, uh, atonement, produces, everything. Yeah. I mean, everything. And yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've seen, and that's what I think has been a head scratcher for me is I've watched some Christians that I thought were really solid Christians all of a sudden just become these Richard Rohr fans. And, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. what is the connection that... That made them buy into all of these ideas. I, it didn't make sense to me, but I'm wondering mm-hmm. now. I, I'd be curious to go back and ask. You know, did this start with maybe the Enneagram? Did you did you right. do the Enneagram? Then maybe you read the Richard Rohr book, and then you started reading more of his books and started following him. I wouldn't be surprised to hear uh, if if that would be the case. And also, um, some people might might even say you know well I can separate my theology from my anthropology meaning I can you know my theology can stay over here and what I think about who I am and what I was created to be and what my purpose is what my meaning what will most fulfill me I can keep that separated over here but you can't right. can't no, separate can't. those things because the bible theology is just it's 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 the study of god and mm-hmm. if you are dedicated to the study of god it's going to infuse of course and inform what you think about yourself and what kind of a thing you think you actually are and what will fulfill. Because the purpose of why you were created, um, you're going to be the most fulfilled when you pursue that. And if you think it's something that it's not, then not only is that going to possibly lead you down a bad road for other ways you think about God and the nature of reality, but it can also, uh, it, it can also, I think, be the seedbed for some of this, just self-focused, self-help uh, literature that we're seeing just flood the market, not just in the secular market, but in the Christian market. Because if people are set up to be thinking so much about themselves, then it's its like a seedbed for them to just buy into these messages of girl, wash your face and untamed and fierce, free and yes. full of fire yes. and all of these things because you're already orientated toward yourself. And so, Marshall, let's close with this. Um, Let's say there's somebody listening or watching this and they're saying, okay, I'm freaking out right now because I love my church. I've been there for 10 years. The pastor is wonderful, gospel-centered sermons, but they just had this uh, webinar about the Enneagram and they brought in an Enneagram teacher and uh, what, what do I do? How would you advise people to go about um, interacting with this when it comes into their local church?
2: Yes. And I, of course, I have been asked that many, 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 many times. <laughs> yeah, often private message, but I, I can't even tell you how many times it's sure. come up. <laughs> I usually tell them, um, uh, you know, get, get a list, bullet point list of what the Enneagram is. I may give them links to um, a couple of my articles. Um, and I say, you can use this material. Put down what the Enneagram comes from, and make the point that it has no validity. It didn't come from psychology or research or anything objective. And that it's connected to Richard Rohr, then you're going to have to briefly at least explain Richard Rohr's teachings are heretical. And it's kind of opened the door for his influence. And that you think that this thing is probably worse than it appears. It may look innocent, but it's got all of this you know, baggage with it and from what I've seen it has done damage so I try I just try to tell them to just lay out what they want to discuss or, or give to the pastor or whoever they're meeting with um, and I'll, several people have done that and some of them have had good meetings um, where the pastors are listening or they're going to consider several of them have done it and the response has been well, that's okay, uh, yeah, we know that, or we're not concerned about that, because, you know, we're going to teach it in an orthodox way, and we're going <laughs> to just use it as a tool. They, they just don't, they don't want to accept it. So, unfortunately, I have to tell people, you need to be prepared for, you know, the pastor not agreeing with you. And then, of course, it's up to the person. Um you know, are you going to be able to stay in this church or not? I mean, it's, this is a very difficult thing when people have yeah. been, especially if they've been in a church a long time. And in, in the case of people, some people I know, they were in their church a long time and they and they left. Yeah, they couldn't stay there knowing this was being supported by the leadership. Mm-hmm. And so this is a very heartbreaking effect of yeah. the Enneagram. Yeah, it's a very sad thing. And I really feel for those people. I really, really do. Um that's one reason I wanted to get the word out as soon as I could. When I started seeing it, mm-hmm. I was posting about it. And at first, there wasn't a lot of response because most people didn't know what it was. And right. then they started saying, Hey, you know, I, I didn't know this was really a thing. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then all of a sudden, this friend told me, Have you done the enneagram test? Yeah. So um, I just tell them they, they need, first of all, they need to approach leadership. That's what we should do as Christians if we have an issue. Um, in the church, we need to approach. In this case, you would need to approach the leadership if they're supporting it, and just explain calmly mm-hmm. what the facts are, and pray, you know, pray, and yeah. have others praying for you. And that's the I best think- I can offer. You know, yeah. it's. Um, I know one guy just the other day told me he bought um, a book for himself, and then he bought two other books for two of his pastors. And he had a meeting with them, and he told them about the Enneagram and what it was. And he said, they, they said they wanted more information. And he said, well, I have a book to give you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. He actually is giving a book to the pastors. Yeah. Um, so it's good if they want more information, that's good. Yeah. That means they're willing to examine the evidence.
0: And I think sharing a resource can go a long way. You mentioned yeah. that you have blog posts on this sharing this podcast with your pastor might be a good introductory way because yes. it puts a buffer between you and the other person. So they're not having to stare at you as you're telling them this and then respond <laughs> yeah. right away. But you can say, hey, would you be willing to take an hour and listen to this, this podcast and, right. and talk with me right. about what you think about what you, what you heard? Um, that, that can go a long way. I find uh, a lot, when I'll see people posting books, maybe by progressive Christians or books that are promoting things like critical race theory, or uh, the new apostolic reformation, or something like that. It's so helpful to just say, "Hey, have you considered uh, this perspective?" And mm-hmm. and that way, it's non-confrontive to start. Right. And right. it's just a it's a way to kind of put an olive branch out. Like, hey, here's here's another perspective you you might consider, and I'd love to talk to this to you about this. And
2: so um, you can get right Marcia's and say and express. You know, I'm doing this out of yes, out of concern and love love for this church. Yes. And, uh, you know, love for my pastors. And that is what is c- compelling me to want to share this information with you, you know, yeah. and you and approach it like that because you're doing it out of love, out of yeah. love for Christ, out of love for the truth, out of love for your, your local church and pastors. Yeah. Um, you don't want to see something like that coming in. Marcia, um, I thought of one thing real quick, yes. danger that I meant to say. This is something that came to me like later. I didn't initially realize this, people who are accepting the Enneagram because they think it works, and once they get the information, they still don't want the information, it's because their experience with the Enneagram is informing them, and they're basing it on experience instead of objective truth, and once you start shifting in that direction, you'll accept other things based on your experience, and that's exactly what happens in the New Age. Mm. That is what New Agers do. They base truth on experience. Now, having been a New Ager for, you know, over 20 years, I can tell you that's what happens. If your experience with this is good or true, then that's true. Yeah. You're going to, you know, you, you, even if there's objective evidence against it, that doesn't matter. Yeah. And so Christians are beginning to think, they're going to start thinking like New Agers and base truth on experience. And that's a very dangerous step. Mm. So- no, that's good
0: stuff. That's good stuff. Marcia. tell the listeners and viewers uh, where they can we're going to put a link to your book in the podcast okay. notes of course and uh, but but tell them again what it's called tell them about your website your Facebook page okay. where they can connect with you and i'm telling you marsha is one of the most prolific writers i know she's i i don't know how you do it marsha i don't know how you're analyzing so much information all the time and putting out resource after resource after resource of commentary. So prolific writer, if you have a question about anything that has to do with the Enneagram or New Age or perennialism or panentheism, you can find something Marcia has written on it, I guarantee. So tell (laughs) them where they can find some of this stuff.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, Yes, I have a website, christiananswersforthenewage.org, and I have six articles on the Enneagram now. Um, if you go under topics, everything's listed alphabetically. So just look under E and you'll see the six articles there. Uh, then on Facebook, I have a ministry page called Christian answers for the new age. So that's very easy, um, to find. And you just put that in the search box. It should come up right away and you can, uh, like and follow that page. And then you'll see my posts hopefully, but, um, I do put a lot of posts there. And of course, many of them are. On, I've done on the enneagram. I've just did uh, a couple recently on the enneagram. Uh, so my topics are covered there, and that's the more up-to-date stuff because a lot of things I put there are not going to be on my website because I just can't put everything on my website. Right. So um, I try to keep current, very cu- current things there on the Facebook page. Okay. So th- those are the two main things. Plus and then the um, book is what the book's book. called. Oh, the book is Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. Okay,
0: well, good. Lots of great resources. Marcia, thanks again for coming on the show.
2: Always such a joy to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad we we touched on the topics we did because they've been a big concern. They've been on my heart, and, you know, I really want to get the word out there. So thank you so much for giving me that opportunity. Absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed listening to or watching this podcast, you can go to alisachilders.com and click the subscribe button. Or you can subscribe on YouTube or iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash alisachilders and take a look at some of the ways that you can come alongside us financially and with your prayers to help get the message out to more people. Have a great week.